3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike
4: Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping
5: by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, houseplants, or anything to do with any type of plant material, 314 or 367 or 1 800 925 1120. Ann's on the phone line, but we're going to, and we've got to do the good gardening stroll before we can get to you. Anyway, it is Saturday morning and we'll get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your plant material. Whether it's a specialty garden space, whether it's a taste of the tropics, or uh, do you need to use potting mix when you're putting things in pots or should you use potting soil? What's the difference? Why is it different? Should you improve your garden soil? Should you be out there pruning this time of year? How about, ooh, what's that bug? Speaking of bugs, I was looking at, uh, I have some cannas. I got three or four different varieties. I thought something's really kind of turning one of these leaves into like confetti-looking type stuff. And uh, I, thought, I looked at it closer. There was a Japanese beetle chewing on my canna leaf. Now, I thought, Japanese beetles, you're supposed to be eating roses only, which I'm making up. But anyway, so I, t- I had have, happened to have a pair of scissors with me, so I chopped them in half. And I was really happy to see them dead. Anyway, uh, so hopefully what the information I'll share with you will solidify your options with the final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. This is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me to your home, car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Ashlyn. She is producing today, and I haven't seen her for a while. Usually she's been lately speaking FM only. Now she's speaking AM and FM, so she's bilingual, kind of an amazing person. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I host the Garden Hotline. I have been since 1994. I can come to your home and do landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the home page, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. When I wake up on Saturday morning, I never really know where I'm going to go for the Good Gardening Stroll. So I thought, well, I'll just drive down Gravois from South City towards downtown and see what kind of catches my eye. And the morning breeze was, oh, it was so nice. It was, And the clouds were really puffy in the sky. And so I thought, oh, this is where I'm going to take the good gardening stroll. I've never done this one before. There is architecturally a historic building, which was the original Southside National Bank. It sits high above the intersection of Grand, Gravois, and Miami. And there's a wedge planted right there and decorated as well with lots of lays and ribbons and, you know, chairs and... (laughs) All kinds of different stuff as well. Plant material wise, there's some Lariopy. There's actually in the clump of Lariopy a lily that's kind of in full flower right now. Looks really great. It's a nice uh, contrast to Lily. There's some maiden grass, which was waving nicely in the wind. There's a stepping stone path, which allows you to get across a wedge. And uh, there's an apple tree there with a, probably a dozen plus apples on this apple tree. Unbelievable. There's three different uh, barberries in there. One of them is uh, standing bright and maroon, just like you would think you want it to be. The other ones are a little bit uh, kind of getting overrun by some other things as well. But uh, it's, there's a sign there that declares this is a garden of hope and inspiration. And it was, the sign was planted there by Miss Sanchez and one of the uh, trumpet creepers, no, no, trumpet creeper vine was growing on top of one of the uh, barberries. Additional sign reminds the St. Louis Public Schools, then in there as well that, that dominates this wedge of plantings is a crab apple tree, and uh, it sort of sets a tone for everything else. There's remnants of uh, daffodil foliage as well as daylily foliage, which have both have you know, passed their prime and have been cut down. And uh, it's just uh, locust trees run along grand and it gives a kind of a tropical feel to this great July morning. So this was kind of a, you know, unusual situation. It sits high above this, you know, the city. I don't know when the, I tried to find out when this building was built, but uh, I couldn't find anything that said maybe I just didn't look in the right place. But anyway, so that's the Good Gardening Stroll today. Three, one, four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. But let's go ahead and get Ann in before we take a break. Ann, how are you today?
6: Fine, thank you. Here's my question. We use Scott's Turf Builder, and we do the weed and feed, like you say, when the forsythia blooms. And then around 4th of July, we use we do a second application, which is the same product, And for the third application in the fall, we do the fall weed.
2: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink...
3: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
6: ...seed with a pre-emergent. Here's my question. Is it too hot now to do that second application, which we normally do around the 4th of July, which is Wheaton Seed?
7: Right. Just
5: read the label. That's the best thing you can do because it's, I mean, it could do some really major damage, so just be really careful. There should be, on the label, it should tell you if there's any kind of constraints related to temperature. So it's better off to read that actual label than than okay. sort of to me to tell you.
6: Okay, and then if it says we shouldn't do it, how do we, do we have- and if we have to wait till later then do we just wait till that much later for that third application?
5: Yeah, you're just I mean there's nothing else you can do. You can't f- you know, force yeah. mother okay. nature and you could really do some major damage by d- okay. doing any kind of application when the product tells you don't do it during this particular situation where there's too cold, too hot, too this, too that or anything else.
6: Okay, and the third one that we use should be a pre-emergent, correct?
5: Well, the pre-emergent is great, but just realize if you put a pre-emergent down, then you cannot put any kind of grass seed down. Okay. So, I mean, pre-emergent kills any kind of seed that's going to be germinating. It doesn't care if it's a weed seed, uh, fescue seed, uh, bluegrass seed. It doesn't really matter to it at all.
6: Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for hanging
5: on. ann has been hanging on for about 10 minutes even before we got to the top of the hour. So thanks, yes, Ann yes, for yes. hanging on. Mike yes. Miller, KMWASH Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
4: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Just folks, 314-436-7900
5: or 1-800-925-1120. Brian Kelly's not here today, but I wanted to brag to him that I saw the first hummingbird in our landscape the other day. Hummingbird was going all over, checking out. All, I got a lot of different plants, some flowers and everything else. But the hummingbird said, hmm, there's nothing here I really like, so I'm going to leave. So it went, Shh. I don't have hummingbird feeders, you know, those things with the liquid and everything else. But, uh, oh, man, oh, man, it was kind of f- cool to see a hummingbird. Well, let's head over to Doug's yard. Doug, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, it's been about two or three weeks ago. They came through burying the underground cable for one of the cable companies.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: And within about uh, three foot, I had a burning bush. This burning bush has now died. Every leaf on it is brown and dying. Uh, the, the plant is about probably about 23 years old. Uh, What's the life expectancy on a burning bush? And could the digging underground work have caused this bush to die?
5: Uh, Generally, it's, you know, if it was healthy up to that point, how close did they get to the actual burning
1: bush? How close is what?
5: How close was this trench or or whatever they were digging to the actual burning bush? They didn't really
1: dig around it. They trenched underneath, you know how they burrow underneath. Oh, okay. But it was within weeks after they. a few days after they did that, that the plant started dying. Everything else in the area is healthy. Uh, Seems like it's been getting watered well. And this is the only one doing this.
5: Yeah, you know, it must have been the result of this, uh, you know, underground, let's say, tunneling or whatever. But it really, if it was healthy, you know, and everything else, I'm surprised that even I would have to think this, you know, the tube that they were basically putting through or whatever wouldn't have been any bigger than a couple inches. Even if it was up near the surface, it would have only disrupted about, I would say, 20% of the root system. So the for the burning bush to actually go downhill this quickly, that's a, a bit of a surprise, to be honest. It certainly could be a result of that. And if it was healthy up to that point, I can't imagine what else could have caused it. But it's really a bit of a surprise that it did cause it.
1: I have another question for you. Uh, when this was all occurring, I was looking for your book that I got from you at a St. Peter's uh, program you put on, and I cannot find my book in my house anyplace. Is that book still available someplace, and what is the name of it?
5: Well, I have two different ones. It could be uh, month-by-month gardening. You know, that might be it.
1: And no, this was this was a, a hardback uh a paper book, I think, it was about uh, Missouri plants and things like that.
5: Yeah, it was basically a whole list of pl- you know perennial plants, trees, shrubs, and everything else that I recommend for our region. Yeah. Well, so I can
1: Missouri, Missouri Gardeners. It, it was autographed by you.
5: Oh, really? Missouri yep. Gardeners Guide is what it, that one okay, is. Okay, all
1: right. Well, and, I'll have to see if I can find it at a used bookstore, but yeah, I can't find you, mine.
5: You might be able to, yeah, or online.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep.
5: Thanks, Doug, and thanks for buying my book, and now getting a second book of mine. Wow. Let's <laughs> let's go over to Jackie's yard now. Hi, Jackie.
0: Well, hi there. Uh, I've got two questions for you. One, the first one is nutsedge. I live in a uh, area of cluster homes, <laughs> uh, forty nine, and about half of them uh, have a lot of nutsedge in it. The uh, people who care for our lawns, want to come out and spray and spray all the lawns. Uh is there an effective spray for nut sedge?
5: There's a herbicide specifically formulated to kill nut sedge only and it won't do damage to other plant material. So yes, there is one.
0: And it is effective.
5: Yes, it is very. But okay, nuts well that's good news.
0: It's, it's gonna very, take very expensive
5: oh, I expense wise it's hard to say, you know, but to, especially if it's a contractor doing it. But I will say that one application is not going to eradicate the nutsedge, especially if you have a huge, let's say, community of it. It's going to take probably wow. applications for a couple of years in a row to get it okay. under control, and maybe even two or three times, even within one growing season. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a vicious.
0: righty. Well, my other one is uh, deer. Uh, I had a beautiful shade garden of. Hostess. Right. They're just beautiful. And they had been sprayed, had solar light in front of them. I've been sprayed with liquid fence. Uh, Bone repels all. Uh, none of it effective. They came in three nights ago and did terrible damage. And I re sprayed everything again. And they came back in last night and finished them up. So, <laughs> how do I- what can I put on that would fight them?
5: Well, basically, when it's when it's this dry, deer are desperate. So any kind of repellent or anything that would normally, I say, keep them away from the stuff, they're just going to go, hey, I'm really thirsty. And that's what they're really going after a hosta for is a high moisture content as opposed to, let's say, the food quality.
2: So they're just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like anything any, –
3: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You
5: know, animal, anything at all, any insect, when they're Uh at sort of the brink of their life, they're going to go against something. So, what you could try to do in the future is maybe hang some uh, bars of Irish Spring soap and see if that will help keep them away. But if Uh it gets if it's dry like it has been, they don't have any moisture any place.
0: Uh huh. And even the solar lights don't help no okay, well, okay, I guess I'll continue the battle
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your help today
5: S- sure, my pleasure yeah it's mm-hmm. a you know it's an unfortunate situation where you know there are certain plants that uh the deer stay away from, but even those, when it's super dry like this, they're gonna go after like some of the perennials that they don't really like. Let's say uh-huh. like milkweed, columbine, coreopsis, you know, primrose, uh-huh. penic- you know, penstemon, purple coneflowers, all that mm-hmm. stuff they stay away from. But if it's really dry or it's a severe winter where some of the evergreens, mm-hmm. none of those were actually evergreens, but they'll go ahead and go after them. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's desperation. Did
0: you ever, ever go to a bird bath and get a drink? <laughs>
5: Probably, uh, I've never really seen one, but I guess I could. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you very much again.
5: Sure, my pleasure.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Thanks, Jackie. And, yeah, it's, it gets a little bit frustrating. And, uh, I mean, hosta are the very favorite plant of any deer. <laughs> you know, perfectly wonderful, huge leaves. And they could sit there and just kind of... Graze on your hosta forever. I prefer the variegated hosta over this blue-gray one, but I'll go ahead and eat the blue-gray one. But anyway, let's head over to Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Good morning. Good morning. Uh,
8: We have this black gum tree, about 20 years old, and it stands about 30 feet tall. Always was healthy. And this spring, it greened out, as always. And then the top half of the tree it stays the same. The bottom half of the tree has is looks like a good, healthy tree. Uh the leaves are green and shiny and robust. And the top half just stays the same. The leaves do not get brown and fall off, but they just stay dormant as they just peak out into spring.
5: So in other words, they open up. So they're fully open right now or they're just or are they just budded?
8: I uh, they're just halfway in between, oh. you know uh, you know they're open that you see the leaves, but it's real small,
5: wow, um, that's surprising because black gum is really a tough tree, it's native to this region and everything else, so for we something love the tree,
8: it's a beautiful tree, uh, we hate to lose it, but right. it just looks like do you ever see the top half of the tree? die and the bottom half <laughs> you know looks healthy and good
5: well so i mean sometimes there are trees that happens to like uh ash trees that's one of those emerald ash borer problems that's where it generally ki- you know kills it towards the top as opposed to lo- to the lower branches but the mm-hmm. black gum shouldn't be impacted by that but i would go ahead and get a tree service co- to come out and take a look at it
8: yeah we have uh thought maybe it wasn't getting enough water so we have put a slow water dripping water on it for a while and uh, and tried different things at first we thought the top had froze it uh, the where it's located from the neighbor's house between the houses it could have gotten more cold air and a frost and maybe uh they got set back because of that you know but uh it still looks the same it right. looks like like it's dying to me
5: yeah well the, i mean uh, the black gum is a you know it's native to a swampy area, so it can take a really a whole lot of moisture. So maybe it's just because of the drought circumstance.
8: Yeah, I don't know. It's, right. um, but I'd
5: get a professional tree service, so they're right there on the site so they can take an actual look at what is going on.
8: huh. Yeah. So. Okay, thank you very much. And I thought maybe you had some uh, words of magic or something we <laughs>
5: could do. <laughs> Dwizen, dwazen, dwazen, dwon.
9: <laughs> One more time? <laughs>
8: dwezen, Where do we
5: find Dwazen, dwazen,
8: <laughs> Under a okay, full moon. Thanks, Mike. Sure, Enjoy your show.
5: Well, thank mm-hmm. you. Mike Miller, KMRs Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, phone lines are open. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So you can listen to the show, but when you're listening to the show during maybe the commercial breaks or maybe during a question that I'm talking about that you have no interest in, go outside and turn on those sprinklers, get that irrigation system going. It is extremely dry. Even the other day, it poured for about 10 or 15 minutes, and I was curious on how far that penetrated into the ground. So I went out with a, a trowel and dug. It only went down about a quarter inch, so it really didn't help at all. So I've been really doing some heavy-duty watering. I, you know, I just live in South City, so I have you know, sprinklers that I use, and I ru- leave them in one location for about a, an hour or so, so it really drives the water deep into the ground. Yes, there is a little bit of runoff as a result of that, but, I mean, the plant material, we've had a couple questions you know, related to you know, kind of dry soil from my circumstance, like, especially the black gum. That was really surprising to hear that is 20-year-old black gum tree. They're really tough. They're durable. They keep going and going and going. The only thing I can think of is, you know, it's related to the lack of moisture, and that's why the top of the tree didn't leaf out entirely. Well, let's head over to Milt's yard. Hi, Milt.
10: Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for taking
1: my call. Sure. I have a, uh, I have a 30-foot uh, Cleveland pear that, uh, as you uh, probably understand, I've had some maintenance done onto it. But uh, right now I've got two trunks left, and one trunk is about six foot taller than the other. And I wanted to top off that six foot sometime when it would be best for the tree, if that's possible. Uh, so when would uh, – should I wait until the leaves fall or just wait till, uh colder weather? Well, basically, be I mean, tree?
5: I'm sure you're growing it mainly – for the fact that it has some nice uh you know spring flowers. So probably the ideal time would be right after it finishes flowering to do the pruning.
1: After it flowers. Right. Okay.
5: So you got about uh you know four or six weeks after it flowers and prune it at that time. And to try to make it equal, I don't know if it's actually gonna work, if it's gonna help if you prune yeah. it for physically it you know, it looks equal right now, that doesn't necessarily mean the growth is still gonna be Equal for the, you know, from that point forward on both trunks.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I understand that. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll give it a try after, uh, uh, six weeks or so approximately after it flowers. Yeah.
5: Up to, you know, you got to do it up to, you know, you can do it anytime after the flower petals fall off. So up to a six week period.
10: Okay.
7: Thanks so much, Mike.
5: Sure. My pleasure. And as I spoke of, uh, as I spoke of earlier, when I you know, was shocked to see a Japanese beetle eating my uh, <laughs> my can of foliage, so just kind of start watching out for those guys. They can really do some major damage to lots of different things. So Japanese beetles, they're a small beetle, maybe between a quarter and a half inch. It would be the maximum size, more like a uh, in between that. So let's say three eighths. But anyway, and they really look shiny, chromey blue. So just watch out for the Japanese beetles because they can do some major damage pretty quickly, to be honest with you. So now let's head over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. How are you?
11: Hi, how are you this morning? Very good. Uh, I have a fescue lawn that I'm very proud of, but except for right now. Uh, it's really been battered by the heat. Right. And I've dumped $100 worth of water on it. A water bill was $138 last month. Uh, and it, it, you know, I'm just wondering is this going to bounce back once the weather cools down or do I have to overseed or what's the situation there? Well,
5: it probably is going to, you know, the circumstance going to be, as you know, it's a cool season lawn. So it's, you know, this is the worst, you know, circumstance for it possible. Not only sure. the heat, but also the lack of rain and everything else and you're trying to compensate with the rainfall factor by watering but as long as you're keeping the root system viable then that's what the watering really does is uh you know the above ground growth is going to be obvious but also really what you're doing is making sure the root system doesn't dehydrate because once that happens then it's downhill so you're just going to have to keep your fingers crossed and maybe plan on the idea of doing some overseeding in the you know in September you know late august to mid September to late September that would be the the six week period to do it and uh also at that time, maybe right before you do it uh spread or uh, right after you put the seed down, spread about a quarter inch of compost just to add as you know a little bit of protection to the uh germinating seed and then realize that you cannot put any kind of pre emergent down if you're going to put grass seed down
1: exactly um what about the uh like the the
11: you know, what's remaining from the grass like the the thatch that's laying down on the
12: surface do i need to rake that out or? that would be
5: yeah Thatch can what the you know the thatch can be problematic from the standpoint it can calling all pop culture
7: enthusiasts
13: are you obsessed with all things celebrity do you live for the drama the laughs and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media
5: And humidity and, you know, moisture and everything else can create fungus problems, and especially when something's more or less dormant, like the fescue grass is in the heat of the summertime. Not totally dormant, not like the zoysia in the wintertime, but still it's going to be a, a situation where you've got to be really careful.
14: Okay. All right. Thanks
11: for your input.
5: Sure. My pleasure. And we've got okay, phone lines well. open, 314 436-7900 or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. 925 1120 If you did, within the last two years, install any kind of trees or shrubs, be sure and water them thoroughly at least once a week in this kind of situation where we're not really getting the rainfall at all because of newly within, you know, anything that's been planted within the last couple of years, they really don't have a well-established, up you know, let's say feeder root system. And so consequently, the above ground growth could have real trouble as a result of that. So be really careful. And what you can do is just run a hose and put it a couple inches away from the trunk or from the main stems or anything else and just run it at a trickle and run it so you can really soak the ground. Don't just go out there and stand and water it and, you know, for 10 minutes and think that's going to be adequate because that's not enough water. Uh, other things to be you know, keeping in mind, if you do have some annual flowers or you have some summertime uh, bulbs like the, the cannas or the elephant ears or whatever else there happens to be out there, uh, fertilizing every two weeks is going to be to the advantage from an aesthetic standpoint so you can get everything you want and hopefully everything you're going to need out of those particular plant materials. So keep that in mind. Let's head over to Sandy's yard now. Hi, Sandy.
9: Hi, um, this is um, Sandy, and I'm, I'm calling. I have a plumeria plant mm-hmm. that it's like seven foot tall. It was out in my backyard for years, and this last year it just got too big for us to take down to the basement during the winter. So we took it to a church, which is like an atrium uh, in it, and it seems like it really loves the, the light there. It's been blooming since March. Wow. But it looks bad. It just looks bad. The, the leaves look like they're not getting enough water, so we added more water. And it's still, that doesn't that doesn't seem right. It has to sit in a little tray there. And here at my house, I just would let the water run out. Um, so I don't know what to do. What, what would you suggest? Should I try putting it outside the church for a, a little bit where it gets the normal sun? But it's in an atrium. It gets beautiful sun, and it's obviously... Like where it's at Because it's blooming
5: so much. Well, the bloom is just, it could be like a result of like saying, yikes, I'm on my downhill you know, slide, so I'm producing these flowers you know, to perpetuate myself, which really doesn't really happen. But if the foliage is looking bad, that's not a good sign. That means the root system is uh, in trouble. So even though you think there's adequate light, the light that's coming in, is it through any kind of stained glass or anything?
9: No, no stained glass. It's just it's just clear glass, okay. it's just clear glass. So
5: I would say the fact that you had such a great uh, job of growing it so well for all those years, and you made sure that there wasn't too much moisture, the fact there has to be a tray there so the moisture doesn't, you know, the water doesn't leak out onto the floor in the church, that's probably what the problem is. The root system is on a downhill turn, and then consequently the above ground growth is going to, reflect that
9: okay so maybe i should just try taking it outside for a little while and taking the tray and seeing if it bounces back right and And
5: any of the foliage is you know weak or limp or anything else that's just going to fall off it's not going to probably be able to uh, let's say perk itself back up so it's going to be a whole involved process of putting out new foliage and everything else
9: Okay. Well, they're just a, the leaves are just a little limp. We haven't lost leaves yet. Okay. But it just doesn't look like it normally looked to me. I mean, I've just known this plant for a long time. Right.
5: It sounds like it.
9: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll just, I don't know. I think I might try just taking it outside of the church for a little bit. I mean, it's such a big plant, but I don't think anybody would walk away with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Plumeria. <laughs> Anyway, okay, well we'll we'll try that and see. And we we have been putting a little bit of miracle, put miracle Grow on twice since March. I don't think that's like too much. But um
5: No, that's not too much, know, but still. Yeah, it's uh no, like I said it's got to be related to the root system.
9: Okay, so get the water out of the tray.
5: Yeah, I know it's really heavy and I know you can't do it, but if you could just pull it, lift it up or have somebody lift it up and just take a look and see if the root system is still let's say whitish, as opposed to, like, non-existent, then that would really give you the good indication. But I'm probably just moving it out there and see what happens.
9: Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Really My appreciate pl- it.
5: My pleasure. <laughs> okay. Good luck with that. Yeah, Plumeria is really uh, an exotic plant. So all those years you had it and then it got so big <laughs> you had to do- donate it to a church. That's phenomenal. Mike Miller, K inwash Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
8: This is the St. Louis Composting
4: Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
5: Yes, folks, I think summertime is here. Uh, It's been pretty fly-free and pretty gnat-free. But this past week when I've been outside working and stuff, the flies are definitely increased and the gnats as well. So also cicadas, hearing the screaming cicadas. Wow, that really means summertime. When we were kids, we didn't call cicadas cicadas. We called them locusts. And then I remember—I can't remember which movie it was—but some uh, plant that there, an insect that they called locust, came and devoured all these crops. And when you saw the picture of it, those were grasshoppers. Those aren't locusts. So then we found out that the. Uh, those uh, cicadas are cicadas. They're not locusts. But anyway, Tracy, when she was growing up, they she called locusts, cicadas, whatever, re So that was kind of a mimicking the actual sound they make. But it's really kind of interesting. We live right across the street from Christie Park, so there's quite a few of the locusts squealing or screaming, and it's kind of neat to hear. So anyway— Another thing, too—a big, huge surge of spurge. It's just like holy moly! I can't believe how much spurge is just erupting in so many different places in your, you know, in my landscape at least. So let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. How are you today?
2: Good morning. Hi. Uh, I have three quick questions. One's about a weeping cherry that all of a sudden was covered on the top with uh, spider-like webs. I uh, sprinkled that se- a seven I think it's pronounced, it's that white powder, and then I had the tree and shrub people come and uh, spray um, your suggestions because the entire top is vacant of leaves now because of that. Is that spider mites?
5: Uh, spider mites you w- it wouldn't be lo- it wouldn't look like a big nest or a huge thing of spiders. Spider mm. mites are just like kind of a spider mite or a spider web in between individual leaves. It doesn't cover the whole thing, but spiders are—they're prolific right now. They're over all kinds of things. I got a bunch of them on a mugo pine, so maybe. In relationship to the heat and everything else, by putting whatever chemicals that were put on, that could have been detrimental more so than the spiders ever would have been. So spider mites, (laughs) spider mites make the leaf look like it's got little specks, you know, of the grain taken out. And so if that was just spider webs, regular spiders, you may have caused more problem than good.
2: Okay. <laughs> the second the second question is my amaryllis plants. They're about five years old, and I bring them out and let the the long leaves on uh, yes uh, grow. And they're about uh, so I'm looking at them now probably about three and a half feet long. Uh, do I ever cut those? down or off or just bring them in and hide them for a month or how do how do I do that Well again? basically
5: when you bring them in that's when you cut them and then let okay. them go dormant and then you do that in September let them sit for you know 6 or 8 weeks and then bring them out into the light and start watering them and then you'll get the flowers around the end of the season or end of the year
2: How how far down to the bulb do I cut some an inch Yeah that should okay. be
5: adequate. Just you know, okay. enough of a stub so you don't do any kind of damage to the actual bulb.
2: Okay. The third question is begonias. Mine were gorgeous, and now all of a sudden the the individual plants in the pot um, they they don't look mushy, but they're starting to uh, look like they're wilting. Some of them. Some of them.
5: Uh, sounds like you're overwatering.
2: Okay. So All just right, be I real car-
5: be real careful.
2: Okay, and uh, as a side note, a plumeria. I have four plumeria that are twenty years old. Wow! And yes, and you at one time told me uh, because I was having problems uh, them flowering, and you told me to get uh, you know a high blooming fertilizer. Right. I wasn't using, so, and and I did, and they're gorgeous just gorgeous so that might help that lady
5: all right that sounds good yeah she'd had it for nine years and had great luck with it it just got too big and you know that that's where the problem came in with her but you know thanks a lot mary and uh sounds like you uh are really in tune with your plant material that really makes it real important uh things other than you know i'm going to keep emphasizing the fact that it's been really extremely dry so Get, you know water things, but be careful because, particularly in anything in containers or pots, overwatering can really send them downhill. Mike Miller, MYS Garden Hotline, back after the news. <music> Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your plant material of any type, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And always realize, if you're calling with a question about plant material, I can make up anything because you won't know if I'm making it up or not, if it's a real answer or not. Anyway... I'll share my ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thought, but thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that will take you towards success. Across the big board is... Ashlyn, and she is producing. She answers the phone. All she needs to know is your first name, and uh, she'll put you on the caller screen, and then I'll be able to talk to you. During the week and weekends both, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. I'll come and share 40-plus years of experience. Wow. 40 years? How old are you? You're really old. You must be old. Anyway, Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the Trial goes out to all the people who work for the different park departments, whether it's county, whether it's state, whether it's city, it doesn't matter. Just all the work that they do to keep our parks looking as good as they are, whether it's just picking up the trash, whether it's, which just happened a few days ago, we had a tree that was basically almost knocked over in Christie park. And, uh, the city arborists were they came out of the tree department or tr- park department or whatever, and took the tree down. I mean, that was a lot of work. It was a huge tree. It got knocked over during one of the strong wind circumstances. And, uh, That's, you know, so tip of the trial goes out to all the employees for the park departments because they do a huge amount of work keeping the parks looking as good as they do. So that's a special recognition, and it is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Let's get a couple calls in before we go to a break. Let's go to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary.
11: Good morning, Mike. We appreciate the service you provide. Uh, My wife has about, well, I should say had about 20 knockout roses, and we've lost probably five or six of them. It looks like overgrowth on, it it starts out, looks like maybe new growth at the top of the stems, and then the stem gets real large and a lot of thorns on it, and I've done some research on it. It seems like it's called rosette disease, Right. and I'm wondering if you have an answer for that. From what I have been able to find, it seems like the only answer is dig them up by the roots and throw them away. So I'm hoping, hoping that you have something better to tell
5: us. <laughs> Basically, there's no control. Once it's, in, you know, in the, let's say, vascular system inside the rose stems, any part of it, it's just going to be a slow death. So you might as well get rid of them. And it's transmitted by, you know, insects that, you know, they get, they feed on a rose that has a rose rosette. They're blown you know, onto another one, spider mites and things like that, and then they inoculate a different rose. So if you've got a bunch of them in your yard, you could just be inoculating, you know, roses within your own landscape, let alone roses, you know, in somebody else's yard. So that's right. an unfor- unfortunate circumstance.
11: Yeah, well, uh, if you plant something else there, like if uh, a different kind of a plant, maybe uh, uh uh, well, regardless, does it transfer to any other plants?
5: No. Basically, it's very specific towards roses. Now, if you put another rose in there, even if it wasn't a knockout rose, if you put a hybrid tea, grandiflora, floribunda, or whatever, it's going to have that potentially that problem because the roses that are still there maybe already have the vascular system, even though you're not seeing that really weird growth with all the you know the thorns and reddish color and everything.
11: Right. All right. Well, I was hoping you had better news, but again, we appreciate the service you provide. And my wife and I are faithful listeners to you, and uh, I do appreciate it, Mike. So you have a good day, and thank you very much.
5: Sure. My pleasure. And if you'd like for you know, to have something that would, you know, likes the sun, like where your roses are, that can uh, bloom in the summertime, take a look at crepe myrtles. That's a pretty good one.
11: Well, actually, we have about six or seven crepe myrtles Whoa. in the yard. <laughs> and my wife uh, my wife actually wants, uh, we were talking about it yesterday, she wants the real dark leaf ones uh-huh. that are small, uh, and we're thinking about replacing them, and uh, where are these roses are dying, I just put the uh, uh, great myrtle in, because they are beautiful.
5: They are great, and I mean, they're really striking and spectacular this time of year.
11: They are. Well, thanks again, Mike. You have a great day. Sure,
5: my pleasure. And now let's go
11: over to Brenda's yard.
5: Hi, Brenda.
4: Hi, Mike. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um, just wanted to um talk to you. I, I purchased a Kwanzaa cherry as a bare root and unfortunately it got uh lost in the mail and then I had to order another one. Whoa. Long story long story short, I didn't get it planted till the beginning of June and then it got real hot it is barely putting out little bitty size of a pencil point growth. And I mean like three and it's here we are mid July. So do you think it's going to make it or should I take it back or what do you think?
5: I think it doesn't sound good. (laughs)
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, this should have been installed. I mean, sometime in March. So for you to not be able to get one, you know, I mean,
4: yeah, Yeah. that's That's not a good sign. Okay, that's what I was afraid of. I got one other question. I got a rhododendron I planted last uh, spring, and it did great last year, and it bloomed uh, this spring a little bit, and now the leaves are all turning yellow in the middle. Any ideas?
5: Uh, Basically, it sounds like your soil pH is a little bit too alkaline. Do you have it close to a sidewalk, a driveway, or the house foundation? Because that can...
4: in on. some, It's in a rock bed, and I just purchased the house a couple of years ago, and so it had the black plastic underneath the rock, so okay. I pulled that out. And so I'm wondering, I keep trying to give it the the azalea rhododendron fertilizer about right. every few weeks, um, but maybe the soil's just no good under there now that it's...
5: Yeah, the soil know. could have been killed as a result of that. And rather than giving it fertilizer, give it iron sulfate, because that's going to you know, work on your soil as a, as opposed to giving, you know, food. The other one, uh, the fertilizer for, you know, acid-loving plants is great, but if they're not healthy in the first place, you it's like when we're, you know, people or your pets or anything else, if they're not feeling well, feeding them is not going to make them feel any better. And so that, you know, okay. just watch out about doing well,
4: that. All right. Well, thanks for the tip. Appreciate it. Thanks sure. for your help, Mike. My pleasure.
5: Have
8: a great
4: day. All right.
5: 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim.
8: Hi,
7: Mike. Thank you for your time. Uh, I've got 10 flowering plants that are in containers on my deck and Uh, One of them is a laguna, or two of them are, and I've got a uh, geranium, and then there's one uh, lemon tree plant. In this excessive heat, is it wise to keep them out of the direct sun? I know they have regulations as far as part sun, part shade, but I'm, I'm just leery about Having them in the direct sun at a certain time. What 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 is your expertise on that? Basically,
5: if it's a plant that can handle full sun, like the lemon tree, it can be in full sun all day long every day. It doesn't really matter. Some of them, and the geranium is the same way. So there's certain any of them that say part sun, part shade, or you know part sun, sun. If they kind of throw that part sun in the in the let's say the little tag when you originally buy it then I'd kind of maybe get them out of the sun a little bit. But if they say sun, they should be able to handle it, to be honest.
12: Okay,
7: okay. So if I see them wilting a little bit, that's just okay. I mean, we water them regularly and and whatnot.
5: Yeah, and also, I mean, the best way to check out to see if a plant really needs some water is look at the inside of the pot and see if the potting mix is pulled away from the inside of the pot. That means there's... There's a gap in there. There's a, you know, the water's gone. There's air pockets in there. And the soil is potting mix, whatever, is shrinking away or shrinking. And that's saying, oh, you need the water.
7: Okay. 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 Thank you for that. Next, I've got three hydrangeas, which have been very growing very well over the years. North facing. I've got them up against our house. About two feet away from the foundation and they're three feet high and maybe three feet wide. Eat, no, probably four feet, four and four and a half. And this year they're looking kind of not, they're not blooming as much. They're looking kind of you know, scraggly. If that's the word are they're, they're just not full. The flowering petals are not as full as usual. So, you know, I don't know if uh, what they need water, right? A lot of water.
5: No, they watch out about overwatering because you can do more damage to the root system. Okay. So okay. be really careful. Okay. That close to the house, if it's underneath the eave, now that's you know that's going to create a, a you know a situation or a circumstance that could be detrimental to them as well. Now, if you've had them there for a long time and you've had great success with them, how long have they been planted?
7: I would say
5: ten years. I mean, it could be a factor of just, sometimes we're finding out some of the varieties of the hydrangeas are getting to a certain point of age wise when they start to, let's say, lose their aesthetic pizzazz.
7: Yeah, maybe they are. We've got them in front, white ones. They're blooming like crazy. They're right. South facing, and they're beautiful. So, okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your program.
5: Well, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. If you weren't there, I yeah. wouldn't be here.
7: <laughs> okay, Mike. Thank a lot.
5: <laughs> sure, my pleasure. And now let's see, where should we head now? Uh, let's go over to Ricky's yard. Hi, Ricky.
7: Uh, Mike.
15: Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, I have gone from Coward Greens to Rockefeller Industrial Hemp for the Westlake Landfill and, you know, the radiation that's leaking. And it has been proven that Rockefeller Industrial Hemp absorbs the radiation, keeps it from leaking. You see what I'm saying? We got an issue. But they don't know how to deal with it, especially when you got skin cancer. And my daughter has a question about Industrial hemp that absorbs radiation will its leaves remediate skin cancer. You see what I'm saying?
5: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's that's a possibility, but uh, I, you know, my thinking is I've not really heard anything that that is the case, but that's not you know necessarily the situation. So there's, I mean, there's things related to Roundup that people are finding out that uh, you know certain concentrations of Roundup or exposure or whatever it happens to be then certain people that have been tested, they're finding out the glyphosate, which is actually the chemical in Roundup, is showing up in their urine. And so, I mean, but out of all the people that use, you know, Roundup or been exposed to Roundup, percentage-wise, it's not really all that, you know, tremendously great. But still, it's something to be concerned with anything related to what you're speaking of.
15: Thanks, Mike. And uh, it's like... Uh... We got to deal with this issue because uh, with the COVID, the amino acid from the marijuana keeps it from penetrating the cells. But ever since Reefer Madness, they've been kicking in our doors so they could do blood for oil on Arabian soil and don't want anybody to know about Rockefeller Industrial Hemp, the first model T4, plastic and ethanol.
5: Well, thanks. Thanks, Ricky. Greatly appreciate it. And good luck.
15: Thank you, Mike. Yep.
5: And now let's go over to Libby's
16: yard. Hi, Libby. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. My question is about my black gum tree. It's five years old and a little bit of a low spot. And right now it's just starting to look like it's fall. It's starting to get red. Yeah. Uh,
5: And it's five years old. Well, it's just... You know, it's being triggered by Mother Nature, so it's a little bit, uh, obviously, it's surprising because usually it's not only temperature-wise and everything else, it's the length of daylight that causes the foliage to start to turn color. But I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. If the foliage is hanging on, looks healthy, and everything else, you should be okay.
16: Cool. And then may I ask about a sunflower plant that a deer ate (laughs) when it was like 12 inches and now I have a fork at the top and I have two sunflower um, plants or not plants, but stems growing out. Right. Do you think possibly I might get two two flowers out of the deal?
5: You should. I mean, you could. I mean, it's still it depends upon the variety. Some if it's some certain varieties will bloom for extended periods of time, other varieties only bloom for, let's say, once. And that's kind of it. So it just depends upon what variety it actually is.
16: Do uh, Does that mean like if the deer, you know, decapitated it, that that counts for one season and then the next <laughs> growth is well, another, I guess? Yeah,
5: not necessarily. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the plants, you know, have that ability, certain ones, let's say like a, a mum. A mum is a plant yes, that, yeah. you know, they're in the sunflower family group and you pinch it back to mm-hmm. make it bushier mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. And you consequently get more flowers as a result of that. So certain varieties in the sunflower family or any other plant group has a situation where if you do pinch it back, you do cut it back, you're going to get more you know, more growth, more flowers, more stems, and everything else.
16: Well, it's going to be very interesting because if this works, then I think I know how I'll approach some sunflowers next
5: year. Right, exactly. <laughs>
16: hey, thank you, Mike.
5: Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, I've got a purple flowers in between my garage and my uh, the alley. And I've been cutting them back for you know a couple of years, and I have, I mean, a huge number of purple coneflowers in flower right now. And the nice thing about the purple coneflowers is too that the goldfinches love the seeds. Yeah. So some of the yeah. flowers have finished, and they have formed the seeds. So I'm getting goldfinches coming down there, but it's you know again cutting it back, and cutting it back, and then letting some of the seed drop and then germinate. It's, you know, the outdoors is just great fun. There's no getting around it.
16: It sure is. Hey, may I add a comment to that last gentleman's call? Sure. And I just want to say that a lot of farmers use Roundup to uh, help desiccate and dry their product. Right. So that's another exposure to it in addition to the growing season. Right. And uh, it really can be an issue for us.
5: Right. I mean, it is certainly, you know, being a concern.
16: Yep. All right. Well, we'll soldier on, as they say. Thank you.
5: (laughs) Sure. Thanks, Livy. Mike Miller, KMO's Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria.
17: How you doing?
12: Very good. Good morning,
17: everyone. Well, I want to ask you, that. Later, someone called in about those knockout roses. I had, like, something like that. And I used to cut my knockout woes down to half so they won't look like a tree in front of your house. And uh, they did fine coming back, you know. I used to always cut them down low. But I was going to ask you about these hydrangeas. I keep a tray up under so they can stay and You know, is that... What, Oh, good idea. So, you have hydrangeas in pots? I still got them in pots. I'm not going to plant them to the winter cause you said don't plant stuff in the summer.
5: Yeah, don't plant in the heat of the summer, but plant it, you know, once we get to mid to late August through September, all the way to Halloween, you got yeah. plenty of time to plant then. So, you could, yeah. it's not necessary to keep the you know the saucer underneath it for moisture. But if you're just if you want to do that, that's fine. That just means you don't have to, you know. Let's say take a look at them every day. You should have plenty of moisture. Right.
17: That's why I, I mean that's why I do it. The water only lasts a couple of days. Right. But at least I don't have to, because uh, they look bad. I got them all in shade, and some of the ones that look bad, the ones that are in really good shape. And then I put an umbrella over my flowers so so much sun won't get on them. You know. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I do that because I found out they stay longer. Right, you know, an umbrella I got to stick in the ground, you know, and uh, I put it over, the, you know, flowers you have to water every day, and I ain't got to go out there and, uh, you know, I got timers, but my own timers, but I was just trying to see about these hydrangeas. Can, how can you get them for just, you know, when they get if they are not in shade, they're not gonna plant. They say that on the label, but. They're not going to do right good.
5: Right. Some of them will, some of them won't.
17: Right, right. You know, and uh, I was just uh, trying to figure out what can I put on them to make them, you know, fertilize. or You say use some iron fertilizer.
5: Yeah, iron sulfate. Or you can just use an acid-based fertilizer because you're still growing them in a pot. But just watch out about, you know, you don't want to fertilize them too late in the season because that can force some growth. Going in wintertime, winter time you, and that could be damaging. So,
17: did you say stop fertilizing in August or something?
5: Yeah, exactly. I thought you.
17: See,
4: I heard you say
17: that. Right. The, well, no, yeah.
5: None. Early August. You know, late July. That would be the last time I would do any kind of fertilizing.
17: Yeah, because I got like ten uh, knockouts, and they, every year I cut them down halfway.
5: Okay, great. You
17: know, and they come up real, they come up real good. So that might be a good idea for him if he ain't in no hurry.
5: Yeah, you know,
17: just if they just do cut all that disease off.
5: Well, the cutting okay. the disease, it's still going to be in the other parts of the plant that haven't been cut down. So rose rosette right. is you can't really cut it off to get rid of it. So thanks, Gloria. Okay. Greatly appreciate it. And now let's head over to Adam's yard. Hi, Adam.
12: Hey, Mike. How you doing today? Very good. How are you? Uh, pretty good. I got a question about some pear trees that actually they're not the Bradford pears or anything; these are actually fruit-producing pear trees. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And is there a such thing as overwatering them? Are
5: they in the ground or in pots?
12: Oh, they're in the ground. They've been established for about twelve years, and they—I uh, mean—they've been producing fruit for a few years, quite a few years, actually. Right. And the ground smells real musty. And should we stop watering for a little bit or?
5: Well, it's, you know, if the foliage looks good and everything looks good, they've been in the ground that long. I mean, you'd have to really do some really serious watering to cause damage to a tree that's, you know, that well established. Assuming they were planted properly and everything else, or they wouldn't have been, you know, productive for this long. So I would say, I mean, you can be somewhat cautious. But uh, you should be okay if you've doing the same kind of watering that historically you've done to get them to this point. You know f- uh, that they've lived this long.
12: So, with the ground smelling musty and everything, the roots won't get rot and fungus and everything.
5: No, not necessarily. If you're, I mean, the ground smelling musty. Uh, if you ha- do, you have anything growing underneath them? Nope. So no. So you just got mulch no. or whatever
12: uh just bare dirt.
5: Okay. Then I would say I wouldn't be overly concerned with it.
12: All right, you have a good wine recipe for pears.
5: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I like wine, but I don't have one for pears. But thanks.
12: <laughs> uh I appreciate it, bud.
5: Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Linda's yard. Hi Linda.
8: Hi.
13: Um early this spring I found some miniature knockout roses. And I bought several of them, and I've had them in pots all summer. And they're, they're just beautiful, tiny little, little rose bushes. But I don't know what to do with them going into the winter.
5: Well, any, I have them. Yeah, so you, they're actually miniature knockouts? Because I've not yeah. heard of that one.
13: I, I found them, and I grabbed six of them.
5: <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, there's lots of miniature roses, so... They they're taking care of the same way that regular roses are. So full sun, well prepared soil with compost, you know, organic material in it, and uh, you know, rose food, that whole thing. So just because they're miniatures doesn't mean they're not taking care of like regular roses. So there's lots of, I mean, miniature roses that are not knockout roses.
13: Sure, but what should I want them to last over the winter? Should I try to put them in the ground, or will they survive in the pots?
5: Uh, surviving in a pot would be kind of iffy, to be honest with you, especially if you got the pot above the ground. Now, if you soak right. the pot in a hole in the ground, then it's going to be protected. But just in a pot, uh, that I, you're taking a big chance.
13: Can I keep them in the pot all summer and just put them in the ground in the fall? Yeah.
5: I mean, definitely fall is the best time to plant pretty much anything. I mean, oh. because the ground is warm, you get some aggressive growth as far as the root system go, and then they go get to go to sleep for winter time. So fall, not too late in the fall, but sometime after the you know end of August, before Halloween, get them in the ground during that time
13: period. Ugh, I don't want to dig six holes. <laughs> 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 I guess I will. <laughs> oh, Eric. <laughs> We'll okay, thank you so much. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye-bye.
5: Well, if there are miniatures, there can't be huge holes. But anyway, it could be a lot of work because no, they're no getting around
13: it. I put, them in, I put them in big pots.
5: Oh, okay. Oh. Um, well, give them a try. Well, I'll
13: figure, I'll figure I, it out.
5: I would say <laughs> plant you know, half of them in the ground and leave them, half of them in the pot, and then you can call next year and say, well, those that I left in pots are fine. So you never know.
13: Plenty. And pot's in the garage or leave them out?
5: No, no, just leave them outside. Don't put them in the garage.
13: Oh. Okay, well, you've given me a lot to think about. Thank you so much.
5: (laughs) Sure, my pleasure. (laughs) And now let's go over to Don Jard. Hi, Don.
18: Hey, how you doing? I got a question for you. Uh, I got zoysia, and I love it. I get different uh, opinions about should zoysia be mulched? Or should zoysa not be mulched and just cut it, and or should it be bagged or not bagged?
5: Uh, as far as like mulching, you mean a mulching mower?
18: Yeah, I got the the mower will mulch, but it'll also bag. So right. should I be bagging the Zoyza or should I be mulching the Zoyza?
5: It just depends upon how long the clippings are. I have a mower that I can do the same thing with. So I w- had to miss mowing for. Uh, Know two weeks, so the clippings were going to be pretty long, so I just bagged the last you know, I've just mowed last week, so I bagged those. But uh, if the clippings are one inch or less, then you can just mulch it,
18: okay? And I got another question: Should that be you know, it's very thick. I had to go out and get a self-propelled lawnmower because I couldn't push along my lawnmower through it. Wow, should, should, yeah, I'm telling you, it's, it's it after I mowed it, I just got done mowing it. And, I mean, you can walk on it, and it's still thick. I mean, it's like, it's unbelievable. Everybody comments about it. It's just, I mean, it's, I mean, it just got done mold, and I mean, it is thick. Now, how short, that's another question. Should I cut it short or leave it long and let it look good? Or what if I cut it short, will it kill it? Well, If you
5: cut it short, you can sunburn it. That's why a lot of right. people in my neighborhood are cutting their grass too short and it's really right. brown. It looks horrible. So I don't yep. know why so. they don't let it, you know, get longer. But uh, you want to set your mower blade about three and a half inches, that should be adequate.
18: Yeah, I got it cut I got it set at three. I guess that's what it means three, three and a half. Right. And I mean it like I said, I walk on it right now and it seems like it's so thick, you're like I didn't even cut it. And how often should it be watered?
5: Uh, basically I water mine just to make sure that it gets an inch of water every week, but Zoys is really tough and durable. It's not, you know, it can handle a little bit of a drought circumstance, but I still don't like mine to go through any kind of a drought situation. So I, yeah, know, I don't
18: either. So I go, I go sometimes twice a week and it looks good. And like I say, I just mowed it and I might've been an inch longer. I mean, it just looks good. You You, you don't really know, but I mean, if you walk on it, right you know i it's fabulous well that's great And i got one more question if i can bob you know them stupid trees that people put have put in their yard and drop them stupid balls all over the place on oh, sweet gums you know, I, yeah it's the dumbest tree anybody could ever plant as far as i'm concerned but uh i'm not an expert now you know you got these companies that could spray and hopefully that'll help or they do an injection around the trunk does any of those things work?
5: Yeah, timing-wise, though, so that's what's really crucial, it's especially the spraying, because you have to spray when the sweet gum tree is in flower, or else you—if you miss that flowering circumstance, then it's not going to do any good. The injection that should be the—you know—that's basically the same kind of thing. So it does—you know—prevent the sweet gum balls from forming.
18: Which is better?
5: Uh, to me, the injection is, but uh, because. Okay. I mean, if you spray and we have a rain that night, which wasn't you know not predicted or something like that, it just washes it all the way. So,
18: so I, I think somebody said right when, when right before spring hits, you should go ahead and do the injection. Well, it's got to be you
5: can't you know, make yeah, it's going to be springtime because that's when they flower. So, thanks a lot, Don. Greatly appreciate it. And good luck with that. Mike Miller, K. and Garden Hotline back after these messages. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Let's head over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike. Yes.
14: My neighbor has a fully grown evergreen tree, and all of a sudden this tree is dead. Ooh. You know, what What could cause uh, possibly cause that? I know it wasn't bagworms because it died too rapid. Right. It just, it just took off. And not, and then the neighbor used to water that evergreen like waterboarding, and I'm wondering, was it a fungus or what?
5: It's you know, if it died basically within, let's say, one season, it had to be related oh, to the root system. And I don't know how old it is or what type of you know what type of art evergreen it was, whether it was a pine, whether it was a spruce, whether it was arborvitae or juniper or whatever. But if it died that quickly, it had to be related to the root system.
14: Oh, okay, the root system. So could that possibly come from overwatering? Definitely. Yeah, because she watered that tree every day. I say they don't need water every day.
5: No, they don't. And, I mean, you can really – generally the evergreens like that Mm -hmm. are from areas that are really kind of rocky soils – so when it right. does rain or snow or wherever they happen to be, let's say historically from, they don't they don't retain a lot of moisture like our clay soils do.
14: Right, right. Oh my God, yeah. Well, I was wondering because I have two evergreens, you know, and I, I spray them for bagworms, you know. Right. And uh, I don't see bagworms killing that tree that fast. No, oh, they man, won't. That tree, that tree went overnight, yeah. almost. Basically, it looked like it was inside out.
5: Yeah, it had to be something related to the root system, and the thing just collapsed.
14: Right, right. Okay, Mike, you take care.
10: Okay, you do
5: the and very same thing.
14: All right.
5: Thanks, Dave. And now let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob.
10: Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me on your show. Sure. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be calling in. <laughs> um my daughter has a, a tomato plant. She's planted in a pretty good-sized container. Uh-huh. It's, an indes- it's an indeterminate, um, but the it's blossoming. But the blossoms, uh, instead of producing a tomato, uh, when they dry out, when you reach up and touch them, they just fall off. There's a little bit s- slight stem on them. So it's happening to every one of them. Now, I've heard of something called blossom rot, but what do you have any idea what might be causing this?
8: Well blossom
10: they just,
5: they, yeah. Blossom in rot is actually once the tomatoes start forming, they start getting a black spot on the bottom of the tomato. So that's not okay. what she has. So nope. tomatoes like to have a lot of moisture, so maybe they're just you know, they're just drying out. And if it's an indeterminate type, it's you know, those are a little bit more difficult to grow than some of the let's say the hybrids like the Big boy and better boy and this and that and everything else
10: well it it is a it is a big boy okay uh but or it's either a big boy or a better boy, but uh indeterminate from my understanding, and my understanding those are indeterminate determinate are my understanding are the type that' going to grow so so long. They're so big, and then they produce fruit one time, and it's done.
5: Right, exactly.
10: But but these are this is an indeterminate. Okay, so it's, it's it's one of the hybrids. It's either a big boy, a better boy, or an early girl. I forget which one it is, but uh, they just they just they're not producing, and and we've mm-hmm. gone out, you know, when the blossoms are there, and kind of flick them a little bit to get them to pollinate, and but i just wonder if there's anything we could do to it to cause him to i i shot him with some of that uh what so we call it pollinator type stuff a couple of them that' it helped any but right I thought you might have some idea that i haven't come up with
5: maybe use tomato i hopefully she's using tomato food and not letting him go through any kind of drought stress at all because tomatoes really like a lot of moisture
10: okay well we'll we'll Start making sure we would watch that real closely. Right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Sure.
5: My pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I was getting a little bit messed up when you were saying determinate and indeterminate. Now let's go over to over to Al's yard. Hi, Al.
14: How's it going, Mike? Thanks for having me. Sure. I have a question. I have a question about my lawn, the west side of my lawn. Every year around this time, it starts to burn. What can I do to prevent it from burning?
5: If it's a cool-season lawn, there's nothing you can really do. I mean, what you could do okay. is try to improve the soil. Like, if it's a cool-season lawn, like a fescue or a bluegrass, and when fall yes, rolls around, fescue. you know, core aerate, put some, you know, compost so it can fall down in the core aeration holes, and do that a couple years in a row to try to keep the soil healthy, and that will keep your lawn healthier. But there's, that's pretty much, you know... I mean, those okay. type of lawns just don't like our heat.
14: All righty. Well, that's all I need. Thanks for having me thanks for you help. Sure.
5: My pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the thing with lawns, too, is, I mean, it's the soil is what makes it so any plant has a good ability to be as robust as possible. And even being robust when you're, let's say, a cool season lawn, the heat of our summertime is really really difficult, and especially a year like this where, I mean, you on Monday or something they you see the weather forecast for the week, and they say by Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we're going to have rain, and it never comes, and so that I mean that can have an impact. But still, the soil is really important, and that's why the core aeration followed by you know composting just helps build the soil up. That's what it, it's all about. And another thing not related to lawns, but uh, we have a lot of sycamore trees around Christie Park. And, boy, the sycamore trees are exfoliating bark all over the place. So there's pieces of bark. If you have a sycamore tree or you see sycamore trees with bark all over the ground, that's just a natural you know, process. Most of the trees just kind of expand, and it doesn't really, let's say, slough off or drop off the bark the way the sycamores do. So it's really kind of an interesting fact that certain trees are very, very different than other things. Another thing, again, it's really super dry. And especially on a day like this where it's dry and hot and windy, that even makes it worse for the plant material. So anybody or anybody really should be out there watering. Mike Miller, KMWOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week.
3: Plan savings with three lines of T Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts.
13: Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media?